Hey everybody, this is one of our Star Trek revisits that we're doing for Patreon. So if you're a patron, thank you for supporting the show. And this is your new content where we're going back and sort of revisiting something. I'll get to that in a second. And if you're not, if this has made its way to the main feed, it's because of the patrons at patreon.com slash the Penske file who support the show. And they get us occasionally revisiting old Star Trek episodes. So five years or whatever it's been after TOS was done. We're going back and we're going to uh, talk about The Enemy Within, which was not an episode that we covered on our original watch through. I did it as a kind of uh, just to watch all the episodes. I wrote little blurbs about them on the website, but we did not do a podcast about it. So this isn't really a revisit. It's almost a visit in the sense that it's never happened before. So, Clay, how are you? Welcome back to TOS. I'm good. I've uh, it's been a while. I haven't watched TOS in, in quite a while. And uh, I was very happy to get to witness this Nick Cage-level performance from uh, William Shatner. <laughs> we'll probably get into it, but uh, this is a this. Is, I think you could put this on a list of quintessential TOS episodes. I gave this uh, on our the first time through where we didn't really watch it. I just kind of watched it on my own and gave it a little blurb. I gave it a four out of five, and I don't know mm. uh, if you were going to agree with that by the end of it. But let's take a break. We will play a clip from the episode, and then we'll come back, and we'll break down the enemy within. What's the matter with me? Judging from my observations, Captain, you're rapidly losing the power of decision. You have a point, Spock? Yes. Always, Doctor. We have here an unusual opportunity to appraise the human mind, or to examine, in Earth terms, the roles of good and evil in a man. His negative side, which you call hostility, lust, violence and his positive side which earth people express as compassion love tenderness it's the captain's guts you're analyzing are you aware of that spock yes and what is it that makes one man an exceptional leader we see here indications that it is his negative side which makes him strong that his evil side if you will properly controlled and disciplined is vital to his strength all right so the enemy within is the fourth episode according to memory alpha although i've said fifth and sixth i think when i was telling you which episode to watch it is (laughs) in the first season we'll call it the fourth episode probably produced fourth first aired on the 6th of october 1966 remastered in january 26 of 2008 written by richard matheson directed by leo penn in university at 1672.1 which is 2266 in this episode a transporter malfunction splits captain kirk into two people one good and one evil and neither capable of functioning well separately. So the people know my thoughts, sort of. What do you? What did you think about this one? Um, I like this a lot. I uh, it's it's funny because this one is kind of um a backdoor hard sci-fi episode, sort of to sneak into Star Trek because it's uh, I was kind of I wasn't not that I was rolling my eyes, but. The initial setup of the evil doppelganger created in the in the uh, in the transporter, I was like, okay, yeah, sure, let's let's do this. I'm sure there'll be some do- doppelganger hijinks. And, this is the uh, first one, though. To be, to be fair, this is the first one that that's ever happened in, right? Like, sure, this, yeah. Th- this you could almost say this is a prototypical mirror universe episode, which definitely, is, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was expecting some doppelganger hijinks, and then ultimately they punch each other, and then they figure out a, a way to to put them back together. Um, 
or they just kill him or something. And I, uh, I was surprised that the doppelganger stuff kind of stops about halfway through the episode when they capture him. And then it turns into like a really thoughtful analysis of the human psyche mm-hmm. um, <laughs> led led by a very, very interested Mr. Spock, which I <laughs> Spock is is really interesting in this episode because he's pretty hardcore about everything that's going on. Yep. Um, he's he's ready to bitch slap Kirk when he's he's not uh, making decisions. And he's also like really into this problem, which is a problem that I think a, a Vulcan would be really into. Um, he personally relates to it. He has that thing about it. He, he relates to it right. because he is also a split person being a interracial, a child of interracial uh, marriage, basically. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, once they, once they capture him, they kind of get into this discussion about the, the two sides of, of, of humanity and how they, they have to both coexist and one can't exist without the other. And uh, they have a really great use of the the thing that I missed about this show that I don't think any of the other shows have have really um, successfully duplicated if they've even tried to duplicate it. Even the the 90s shows or just the the modern any any of any of the Star Trek shows, any of the 90s shows, anything is the three point uh, character triangle where you've got Kirk in the middle and you've got Spock and Bones on usually on opposite sides. It's a really great dynamic, especially for an episode like this where Kirk literally can't make a decision and he's got two people pulling him in either direction about what to do. Um, but it's really unique in Star Trek and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they haven't tried to duplicate it really. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was great. Um, I was I didn't realize it was written by Richard Matheson until the end, which is you know great sci-fi writer. Yep. Uh, so that explains why this one is is of uh, such quality, I guess. Another it's another trope of early TOS and into the second season. Um, they farmed out a lot of their scripts to famous sci-fi authors of the time. Uh, obviously, with um, City on the Edge with Ellison uh, is one example. Mm-hmm. Someone who wrote uh, Doomsday Machine is another sci-fi writer, and they've been sprinkled in throughout it and um i think it it definitely adds to the twilight zone feel of this like not just because those shows came out at the same time but they are um the episodes just feel like they come from author like novelists yeah, in a lot of ways yeah. like the the ideas seem to feel there and uh this one i really like the enemy within i, I would say that the enemy within is like a solid second tier star trek episode uh, of the original series it's in like that b territory but it's like a really strong b plus mm. um it has a lot of tropes that would continue on with it i think this might be the first episode where kirk and uh, spock and mccoy have that kind of dynamic between the three of them mm. um it's one where it introduces a lot of transporter shenanigans it introduces doppelgangers uh it's it's, um, I don't, I'm surprised they got to that so quickly. Like when you said it's the fourth episode of the first season, I was like, oh, they didn't, they didn't waste any time getting into that shit. No, it was strong. It was strong out of the gate, which is interesting for Star Trek. the uh, The other thing that it it kind of does is it it introduces a uh, it's sort of a sloppy philosophical point that it's making about it. Where I, I you know I, I don't know I think it requires a little bit of um uh poetic license to understand the dynamic of good Kirk and evil Kirk balancing each other out kind of like mm-hmm. it's 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 not the cleanest of breaks and I'm almost surprised that they don't go with some kind of 
id, superego, and ego argument because that's what it seems like it is more than right, right. E- good and evil, really. It's like the animalistic id is this Kirk, and then he's the superego, which is the moralistic uh, like decider, and then the ego mediates between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only the two of them here, but it also has other classic 60s Star Trek tropes like the uh, attempted rape of a woman... <laughs> Which is then, yeah, which is then laughed in, at by Spock at the final line, where he's like, yeah. he's like, "Hey, Yeoman Rand, that uh, that animal Kirk is really something, isn't he?" And he kind of winks at her. It's like, okay, that's uh, that's. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, I was surprised at how uh, uh, intensive an assault that was for '60s television. Yeah, it's 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 good. I I, I think Spock's line like is it, worse than the assault, but it, like Spock's yeah. line is a brutal, cruel joke that is written as a joke. I think at the end, but it makes really no sense. That's why he would say it. Yeah, I, that line was was uh, uh, problematic for a few reasons. Not only because of what Spock said, but like the way that Rand plays it is is almost as though she's kind of into bad Kirk. Mm-hmm. Which she has no. a line like she dresses a certain <laughs> way or something, right? When he's interrogating her, she has she apologizes for looking good or something. She apologizes for mm. the behavior that got her into that position, which is yeah. very very nope. of, of its era i mean the the thing about it to me is you know we're in this era of like people um just com- like sort of asking for progress right and like this whole front of things uh I, th- I think a lot of people don't look back and look at the progress that's been made in this realm like mm-hmm. this this is it's a it's a strange use of a female character in this episode that would be virtually unacceptable today. Not the, yeah. not the plot line, but the way that they handle the way that that character goes through it, where she's just kind of a tool for this one. And, mm-hmm. and then is laughed at at the end for some reason, uh, and sent packing by Mr. S- uh, Mr. Spock. It's, it's just, I, I think people don't appreciate how far we've come that this is no longer the situation. And it's uh, it's a totally different era at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, there's still work to do, unfortunately, but there is, but I mean, this is, this is far worse than anything you right. see today. Yeah. Like there, there's, the, the, I don't think there's any, there's always, there's always some sort of level of work to, to be done, but like back people complaining about this stuff back then actually seem to, there's like a strong understanding or a strong point that's being made about like why this would be a strange problem to have in the, in your television show. It's just, it's inclusion. It's inclusion seems pointless and that's the reason that it's strange that it's there at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that stuff, I mean, unfortunately, that that sort of treatment of, of female characters was not even thought about, I don't think, at that time as something that they couldn't do or shouldn't do, rather. Um, it, like, it, it, was, it was viewed through a very different lens. I'm not saying that everybody was going around advocating for workplace assault. But uh, it just I, I I think making a joke out of it didn't seem nobody bat nobody would have batted an eye really at the at the time mm-hmm. uh, when they did it. But yeah, um, yeah, it's an intense scene. Um, like, and she's got oh, her makeup's all messed up and stuff, and and she it's I've seen like I've seen less brutal attempted rape scenes in shows like today on like an HBO show. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It makes it makes a certain kind of it makes it makes a certain kind of sense. Like, and I I think that they're obviously just going for this sort of animalistic 
Kirk mm. uh, persona, which I, I wonder, like, one of the m- main uh, sort of plot, I don't know if it's a plot problem, but, like, one of the main things that I have about it is that they, they have a hard time tracking Animal Kirk in this episode for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And they, they make a lot of uh, strategic blunders, I would say, in, in trying to track him down. <laughs> and and they also, they also, the structure of it is a little bit strange, where there's a scene early where Scotty explains to Kirk and Spock that the transporter is making duplicates because he duplicates that mm-hmm. dog thing, the dog that's wearing a little outfit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, when, when Kirk and Spock are told this, the actors have a look on their face that makes me feel like they're considering what this could possibly mean. Like they, The look that the actors give almost implies to me that they know that someone who came up before, there is a chance of a doppelganger that's out there. But after that, they still don't know about the doppelganger Kirk, and they're very slow to put it together that that's what happened to mm. him. So I don't really understand why the Scotty scene happens so early in the episode when it should happen. That should be the inciting thing that makes Kirk realize what's going on after Rand has been assaulted. And he's like, what the hell are people talking about? Why are there two of me? And then Scotty comes in and says, this transport is making duplicates. And Captain, you came through right before I realized that this is what was happening. And he goes, aha, right. that's, that's the situation. Well, it's really weird with that... <clears throat> um, in a, in a in a number of ways actually because uh what what actually stood out to me was the um i th- he, i believe the the evil kirk comes through during the cold open right if i remember correctly yeah he comes through before the credits yeah yeah so when they come back from the credits the captain's log kicks in and the captain's log is being recorded after the fact yeah it's retroactive yeah yeah, and because Kirk mentions, he says, at that time, no one on board knew that the transporter malfunction had caused an evil doppelganger of me to appear on the ship. And so, like, it, it's weird how much they reinforce that everybody know everybody know what's going on except for Kirk. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a strange way to structure it that they that they uh, put it all out there like that. They don't really do that that often going forward. Most of the logs are done. Um as they are happening, so they feel like right. they're in a real-time thing. I, I, guess, I guess it does make sense that there would be retroactive captain logs. It's just kind of suspicious that the captain tells his log in such a way that it's dramatically inci- exciting for people yes, to listen to. Yes. Um, it probably would clarify at the start, like, everything's cool, but we found a doppelganger of me, and he was evil. Well, you know, back at Starfleet Base or whatever, I'm sure there are guys who are like, have you listened to Kirk's logs? They are riveting. <laughs> the, that man... Can turn the yarn. A, yeah, that man can turn a drab report into the most interesting story that you ever read. <laughs> Have you ever read anything like that? I was at a uh, um, a library. I had gone down to uh, what the hell was I? Providence, maybe. I think I don't know. We, were, I think it was Hartford. I think about, I don't know. One of those states. We were in uh, this big. Uh, library it was they, they had it was half supreme court half library i think wherever we were we capital whatever state we were in and uh, we were looking through the library and i was going in and i was just checking out some like world war one era stuff because this was the when i was writing bloody hell and i came across all of these military logs that were written by um generals and whatnot like military reports that were that were like pre-civil war stuff so this is like revolutionary and civil war era type stuff and uh, they're so bland. They're the most bland descriptions of the most ridiculous stuff. Yeah. So it's like it, some of it. Some of it will be explaining how like 
one soldier was out of line and decided to accidentally aim a cannon at the leg of one of the lookout towers. That's also the intro to F Troop. But uh, and but the way they describe it is just private then snuck private then left barracks at oh eight hundred hours, got key from passed out somebody somebody went over accidentally fired off cannon leg of fort leg of lookout tower now in ruins it's like oh okay that sounds like it was really exciting yeah <laughs> but the way that you've you've written it up feels like a a, a biology report but yeah it's probably um probably a combination of lack of education so which means a lower vocabulary and then um handwriting that stuff gets tedious so you you'd probably uh crib notes <laughs> your your like right. letters to people well i i i was started thinking about it i was like man you know when you get into uh world war 1 era stuff where you've got like hundreds of thousands of men dying very very quickly and the people who are running the show are nowhere near this and have no concept of exactly the horrors that are going on. All they're doing is reading these reports that are like statistics breakdowns. Yeah, I can see how maybe there was a disconnect between the way that the people, uh, the the generals were handling things, and the people who were on the ground getting massacred by you know storm storms of flying lead every day. Sure, uh, it reminds me of. Uh, one of my favorite Simpsons gags, I probably brought this up before, from the uh, Treehouse of Horror, uh, Shining, The Shining. Yes. Where uh, Marge radios in to Chief Wiggum because Homer's going crazy. And she says, uh, um, what the hell does he say? My, my, husband's, my husband's gone crazy and he's going to murder me and my kids. Over. And then she, Wiggum goes, ah, thank God that's over. <laughs> the... Um, the- uh, the thing you talk about people not understanding the scope, it's probably swung the other way at this point, I would assume, right? Um, where relatively small conflicts now get so much coverage that the reaction to them is heightened in a way. Sure, um, sure. Uh, for every, you know, drone strike that goes awry and does some horrible uh, destruction, there's a coverage of it that's probably within the, within the scheme of things the the amount of death and everything is relatively low compared to something like World War One, but at the same time the coverage of it is more escalated. Right. Um, right. Yeah. The I I think that I guess the other show that this thing introduces is this is this is the first episode I remember Shatner going full Shatner in a way. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And I think he's he does he deserves it here, but what I think balances out his crazy Kirk. Is that I think his good Kirk is really actually kind of a nuanced performance. I think he's really good yeah. as both of them. It's arguably too nuanced because um, it took me a while to really understand what was going on because he plays. I, I mean, the, I, unless they kind of do that on purpose to kind of drip drip out the consequences of this, but his uh, good Kirk, for lack of a better term is very restrained and it's it's only after they kind of get a chance to examine evil kirk that you realize that he has actually changed his personality into someone who is a lot more demure and not really comfortable making uh hard decisions and stuff it's yeah. it's, it's an interesting performance yeah i i think they i think it's intentional that they trickle it out because it takes a couple yeah. scenes for spock to mention it like he doesn't he he doesn't appear and have the scene where he can't make a decision. Uh, he seems normal, if weak or something, uh, the first time you see him. And yeah, he becomes um, 
He becomes more and more confused. And my favorite moment is when Spock is trying to get the blood from the dog and Kirk just goes, don't hurt him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is well, a nice little touch. It's just he, he's completely uh, feeble throughout the entire thing. And I, I, I thought that was a clever inclusion because I could see a story where there's just an evil version of Kirk, but Kirk remains the same through it. Yeah. And this is just takes that and just adds, it makes it much more of an interesting story where he is now a personality that's split down the middle and he is not whole in any sense of the word, any, any sense of it. Yeah. I, I found it um, surprising because before they really tell you what's going on with good Kirk, they have that scene in the transporter room where Spock just kind of chews him out. It gives him the equivalent of like that scene in The Godfather where he slaps him around and says, you can act like a man. Yeah. Um, and at that moment, I was I was just thinking, wow, Spock is, Spock is being really intense. I'm not really sure what Kirk has done to warrant this. But um, as it goes on, it's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's a little bit – he's not quite as uh, strong-jawed as he usually is. He's, he's a lot more – weak i hesitate to say weaker but he's he is weaker i I, I would say he's weaker like that's one problem i have like i i i don't really like the i understand they're doing it in this poetic license but i don't really like evil evil being associated with decisiveness just seems strange to me Mm -hmm. i I guess you could say that a weak-willed person would probably be wishy-washy in that way but um it just doesn't seem very clean cut to me. I think I think the problem with it is that I'm not really crazy about the good and evil dichotomy. I, I'd prefer if they did the ego super ego id thing because that makes more mm-hmm. sense to me. Yeah, I think they. I I have a feeling it's done this way just because it's cleaner. It's an easier explanation to be like good Kirk, evil Kirk. Um, although they don't, do they expl- explicitly refer to him as evil? I don't think that they do. Do they? Um, they might not. I don't. I don't remember. But uh, it's also cheaper because then they'd only have to do two of them instead of three of them, which would be yeah, like, right. <laughs> twice which is, as expensive. Which is an- another transporter accident waiting to happen. And we only have eyeliner for this one guy. That That's the only – I'm like – I also – I don't know if I, they just made him up more when he was bad, Kirk. But like I never really recognized how much makeup they had on these guys. Because when they were doing those close-ups of especially Evil Kirk, he almost looked like they were painting him darker. Mm-hmm. Like, his tan, uh, like, like extra tan yeah. on his face. Yeah. Well, he's he's got like extra tan and he's got like a lot of eyeliner on. Yeah. yeah. So he feels like what Hollywood uh, would would do for like a, a white guy playing an Arab person. Yes. And, <laughs> which which in and of itself was a little bit problematic. It's like he he's very close to looking like Khan. You know, yeah, yeah, he does, and I mean, they, they also, it's of a, an era of television where um, sh- they shoot people depending on who you are and what your gender is. They shoot you differently in this. Uh, yes. The women always have the soft focus and the the lighting around the halo effect around them whenever mm-hmm. they're in close up. And Evil Kirk is shot very much like the you know horror movies from the twenties where he's shot with the light from below him, so his mm-hmm. shadows are on his eyes and everything like that. And uh, he looks he looks great. I. I was watching this. I was really surprised by the production techniques. I'm surprised that none of the modern shows have done an episode that's themed around this era where they shoot it using these production techniques, you know, to um, just the staging and the framing and the lack of camera movement when they're doing stuff. And Mm -hmm. 
the lighting and everything like that. Like I always laugh in these old shows because you never see shadows on the wall in modern production. Right. You know, everything is lit right. to get rid of shadows. And when Kirk and this, every time people are standing on a set, there's just shadows behind them. And it's like, wow, this is just a different era of TV production. And I feel that they could do a play on it. I think DS9's trouble with the the Trials and Tribulations kind of did it, where they kind of mimicked it a little bit. But I feel like mm-hmm. a modern show like Discovery could really take advantage of how different it looks by shooting things that way and not doing it the the sort of modern style, at least one episode. That, yeah, that would be interesting. That would be a very hard stylistic change, I think, for yeah. Discovery. But they'd have to do some sort of mirror universe where they go to that yeah. era or something. Yeah. Let's yeah. Well, ironically, um <laughs> in, in Discovery the mirror universe is even lower lit than the regular universe. (laughs) And And their eyes uh, can't adapt to it. Yeah. The reason that there's so many shadows in these old shows is because they were just cooking them with lights. Yeah. Using a lot, a lot of lights and discover a lot of the modern shows, you know, with the cameras, they don't have to, to, to light them as bright. So you can, you can get around some of that stuff. And also they, they do a lot more of, um, I don't know what the word for it is, but a lot of soft lighting that gets, a gets, more more soft lighting like just more lights that are just kind of diffused so you get some of that shadow stuff to go away yep um and everything's blue now right <laughs> and uh and the music i think is less impactful i i thought the soundtrack was doing a lot of heavy lifting in this one yeah uh, I, was- I you know the thing that was catching me off guard was the the thing that they were using for the heartbeat monitor sounded like the thing the 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 theme from john carpenter's the thing oh sure so like they had the music going the regular star trek music but underneath that they were heads like dum 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 yeah and i was like this is awesome this is a great soundtrack <laughs> i was it was so noticeable to me i was watching it and when the scenes where the music were playing was playing i just kind of tried to imagine it without music what was going on mm-hmm. in it and the music just adds so much. Every time Evil Kirk is there, it's just that pounding, uh, like almost tribal sort of like drum stuff that's going on with it. Just the, the low booming, and um, it does a lot of it does a lot of heavy lifting. I think in this show, especially just to separate which Kirk is which. In case you're watching this in a non remastered eight inch wide television of the '60s, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Recognize which character is which one. Uh, the, the other. Um, just because we did Enterprise recently, we did that episode, uh, Minefield. Um, the difference between Malcolm Reed, who gets a, a small boo-boo and is like, just kill me, just leave me to die, <laughs> and Sulu, who's in negative 120-degree weather with his T-shirt on saying, Captain, is that coffee coming down? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're you know, men of a different era, I suppose. I, I was thinking, I, maybe I missed a line where they explained this away, but... Why couldn't they just send a shuttlecraft down they, to get they, these guys? They hadn't invented shuttlecrafts yet at this point in the series. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that I think that's the only reason why they can't do it. Oh, interesting. I think the first shuttlecraft is in Galileo Seven, which is in the middle of the season. I don't think they could considered the technology to that point, which is kind of strange. You'd think they'd have a a backup for the transporter, or Kirk would mention the fact that we should have a backup in case something like this happens in the future. So what you're saying is Enterprise actually shattered canon by including shuttlecrafts in their show. In every episode. Yeah, Enterprise went out of their way to spit in the face of TOS by saying shuttlecrafts have been around and this completely destroys the thing that's going on in Enemy Within. The the gall of those showrunners to do something uh, like that. That B-plot was apparently added to Matheson's script and Matheson didn't like the B-plot, although there's only five minutes, so I can't think that he's too upset Mm. about it. But it's... um, 
I guess you, you know you do need a ticking clock there. I don't I don't know yeah. if you need one, but I, it, it's a, I didn't think it really hurt it, but it was. I just thought it was that uh, Sulu's tone was just. <laughs> it's this this earnestness of Sulu paired with Kirk sitting alone at his desk, going like, "I'll try." lieutenant like he's yeah. Kirk's very serious about it and Sulu is joking about getting coffee and maybe a couple warm blankets to get thrown down to him my, uh, as he faces him in death my favorite scene was when Sulu is like on the brink of death and he calls up the Enterprise and Kirk answers it like while he's sitting alone in the conference room and Sulu's like I didn't expect to see you sir where's everybody else and Kirk's like I gave them all the day off <laughs> I, I was, if I was Sula, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> why, why, why is everybody getting the day off? Well, we're freezing to death on this planet. Shouldn't we, I don't know, be working on getting us home somehow? A lot, a lot, of, a lot of mixed messaging. When they beam them up at the end, they're all being taken away unconscious on stretchers, and then the camera mm-hmm. pans up, and McCoy just goes, yeah, a little bit of frostbite. They'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's, I, I was trying to figure out... Um, so they didn't. They don't say that they fix the transporter, right? Because they just fix it so they can put Kirk back together. Oh, uh, I assume they, that fixed do, it. Yeah, but I, I get your point. Oh, yeah, okay. Because yeah, does that yeah. mean does that mean they were just like, ah, well, we know how to fix this now. Fuck it. We'll beam them back, split them up, and then we'll beam them and put them back together, and then we'll ship them off to sick base and put them in a nice warm bath. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just it's double to the amount of time it takes to transport something because you have to you have to fix everything. Mm. Yeah, but the, um. um I just wanted to say about that B plot. I I actually think it's a good addition because without it, I think your uh, conflict about what exactly is is happening with Kirk doesn't have a direct actionable thing that needs to be done. So like you split them up and then it just sort of becomes amusing about the differences in the good, even the evil, and should we put them back together and blah, blah, blah. But adding this B-plot gives him an active decision that has to be made, which will require him to... McCoy kind of... kind of, Well, I guess Spock and McCoy both kind of lay it out for Kirk. But it it, it, it adds a, a uh, an actionable element to the drama that I think benefits the story they're telling because you've got Kirk who who can't make decisions and he has to put himself back together. If he doesn't put himself back together, these guys are going to die. But if he tries, he might also die. So it just, it just adds a little bit more zip to the story that they're telling. Yeah. You mean by the actual, but whether, whether he has to transport himself with this guy to combine them, recombine themselves. Yeah. Well, by actionable, I mean like he has a, he has a problem that needs to be solved and he can't solve the problem in the current form that he's in. So he needs to he needs to now make a decision about whether or not he's going to try to put himself back together so he can save these people. Um, without that element, I think it's just them kind of sitting around and and I essentially what it comes down to is that it becomes if they don't put them back together, then Kirk's going to die. And that's yeah. probably enough but I don't think it is as interesting or actually gets you as much gets as much out of the concept as this uh, stranded thing does, because I don't think it gets you that scene where the three of them are kind of going back and forth with Kirk in the middle. Yeah. Um, Because it's, if it's only about Kirk, then I think that there's the stakes are, they're high, but they're not as high as if there are other people involved. Right. Yeah, I mean the the pressure it's adding is that they can't 
do research on whether or not this is going to work. So he has to he has to take the COVID right. vaccine on himself before the clinical trial has finished, basically. Right. And which is fine. I I, I think that it it escalates that by adding a little bit of tension. I wouldn't say it dramatically changes things, although I I take your point that um, if it's just Kirk, they can really slow things down or even if he dies it's not that big of a deal compared to everyone else dying at the same yeah, time because because mccoy kind of lays it out where he's like well if you don't do it you're gonna die and if you do it you might die so uh either way it's kind of this is it it's worth taking the shot saying so, like that's really the only the only internal conflict there would be if it's just kirk you know yeah because if he let's say kirk dies eh, the ship's in pretty good hands nothing is really going to change but uh with other people involved now he has to put himself his his own well-being uh has to take a back seat to the well-being of his crew um you know that kind of thing yeah what um you kind of mentioned that at the start is there anything going back on these TOS episodes now that uh uh you would want to import into modern track you had mentioned uh something before about uh, now I'm drawing a blank. What was your thing that you the, wanted? To mon- you want oh the the trifecta of the angel on the shoulder yeah. and the devil on the shoulder, which is which is not really what they are, but the, the no, it's concept. really two angels with different opinions. Yeah, two really. <laughs> two different two angels from different uh, uh, different places. Yeah, yeah, uh, two angels from different districts of heaven. That's right. Is um, anything else you'd add? To, like I, I find going back to TOS after a long time of being away from it and watching the modern track kind of charming and insightful in a way as to how unique TOS is from the other Star mm-hmm. Treks. And like if, if I were to if I were to do anything, I would hope that Strange New Worlds actually watches more TOS than they than is obvious that the new modern showrunners feel TOS, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I really feel there's a room to update this uh this style of storytelling in a more effective way. Like I was thinking uh, the Rand, I think if you were to remake this episode, there's a way that you can do it where Rand becomes the main character of this story. Sure. And mm-hmm. Kirk gets beamed up and it's this modern, I, I was just drawn to the modern sensibility of like, one of them is this sort of animalistic uh, version of men that is like the version of the men who hate women kind of thing, which is what the animal it is, which is that this mm-hmm. is, he's this unbridled, rage against women he's the incel thing he's that kind of stuff and the other one is kind of like a cock white knight version of a person right (laughs) and it's like this you can really if you more explicitly make it about male female relationships or like the dynamics between the sexes i -hmm. think there's a lot of room for commentary there but rand needs to be the central character who learns something in that and i think that you just play the split kirk off of it in a more interesting way and make it less about this sort of nebulous good versus evil thing we need to combine because everyone has a little bit of evil in them and that's what gets shit done. And you could turn it into something else that it's a little bit more uh, modern, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I don't, th- I, I think we've said this a billion times, but I don't, I don't think that this style of TV is like extinct or anything I, or it doesn't need to be. Cause I, I think the, uh, the best of new doctor who does this kind of stuff pretty well where you can, because because what I miss from from this era is the best of this era is, are the ones where they they present this sort of high concept sci fi thing and then they sort of just explore that and tell a, a tight story with it while exploring some of the themes and I just don't get that from these new shows. Um, 
it's it's a lot more about uh, plot, 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 push everything forward. And I would I would like them to I would like the shows to be about something. Yeah. Uh, more than just this, the larger, more nebulous something that the season is about. Um, and I and I hope I do. I also hope Strange New Worlds bring some of that back. And I and I don't think it's like. I don't think it's a question of living in the past or anything. It's just a different style of storytelling that I that I I find to be satisfying when it's done really well. Yeah, it's a different focus of storytelling, really. I think Discovery would yeah. probably say it's about the emotional journey of the characters. I would say that mm-hmm. they don't do that particularly well either way, even if that is right. what they're yes. supposed to be doing. But um, the older shows are just like... It doesn't even have to be a good conflict because I, I really like this episode, but I think that the good versus evil thing is really sloppy. Like I, I don't, yeah, I, th- sure. I don't think it really makes a lot of sense. It's it's interesting to just kind of consider and to wonder about like maybe if they had fleshed it out a little bit differently. But I, I think the same same thing for Strange New Worlds. It doesn't have to be this sort of classic sci-fi execution of something. It just has to be more of a focus on this is the issue of this one yeah. as opposed to a modern discovery take which is that there's either a very hard sci-fi problem that they're trying to work through or it's a personal journey story that they're trying to get across i just want the more contained small moment of characters thinking about something yeah and i think the st- i think you can <laughs> smaller stakes don't mean worse stakes you know what i mean like it's it's very difficult to come back to a show Every and every season is about some sort of like universe destroying X, because um, I feel like that that's how that's how Discovery is. That's how Picard is. I there's there's nothing wrong with with telling smaller stories and telling smaller stories in a in an efficient way. Because um, that that those bigger stories are just so I find them very difficult to. Uh, um, really relate to you know once 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 your stakes get on the cosmic level it's really difficult to relate to what's happening it all tends to blur together too it's it's the details are so similar to each other like if the ultimate detail is it's the end of the worlds and the end of the universe as we know it it all is just like that happened in a whole bunch of stuff and it doesn't i don't care about the how it got there or whatever um I'm Captain Kirk. Uh, anything? <laughs> I'm Captain Kirk. I want to live. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, uh, your goal is a relationship to be somebody who holds you the way that good Kirk holds evil Kirk before he's about to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no one's ever made a meme image out of that. Get yourself a man who holds you like <laughs> Kirk holds himself. How do, what'd you think of the, um, I thought the double work here was pretty effective. It's obvious that they're trying to hide who the other actor is squaring off mm-hmm. against Shatner, but I, I thought it worked pretty well. It didn't look sloppy or anything. Act, actor is a generous term. Sure. Because they are... Warm like, body. He, yeah. It's clearly a stunt guy, and it's it's so fascinating in these older shows how clearly you can tell who's a stunt guy and who's an actor because there's just a certain way that they hold their bodies and also the fact that they don't actually do any acting. <laughs> <laughs> like, you've got... There's a scene... There's a scene where uh, on the bridge when when Evil Kirk has now donned the green sarong, yep. whatever you want to call that, completely thing disguised himself. Yeah, yeah, yes. Which which Kirk then gets another one of when he wakes up after getting knocked out, I guess. But 
uh, just so they can do the, no, he's the real captain, that thing. Yep. Um, but they're on the bridge, and they do a shot where you're you're behind Evil Kirk, and, and Good Kirk is standing in the background looking towards the camera. So you're seeing the back of Evil Kirk's head. And the dialogue coming from Evil Kirk is like high drama dialogue where he's like, no, it's not me. He's the bad one. But the the, the stunt guy playing Evil Kirk is just standing very still <laughs> in like a semi like ready position like athletic ready position stance and it's like yeah this guy this guy was not told what was happening or what to do he's just standing there while other people talk at him yeah or in the in the edit bay they didn't realize they were going to cut these things together so it's uh they're, they're not telling him exactly what needs to be done at that point yeah they're right they're basically just glorified um like the lighting people, the stand-in people who just kind of stand there to make sure that the lighting works for them and stuff like that. There's there's one shot that's uh, you can't get away with this stuff on on modern TV because the TVs are so big and the resolution is so good. But uh, when Evil Kirk is on the bridge and Good Kirk comes onto the bridge, they do like a full frontal shot of the stuntman, but his head is turned, like looking over at the turbo lift where right. Kirk is coming out of. And you can clearly tell it's a different actor. Like, you can see his whole face. Yeah, yeah. Which you could get away with on a much smaller TV, but you can't do that stuff now. Now you got to digitally do that. Yeah, the only one that stuck out to me was there's... I, I know that they, why they did it, but they, they did a shot where Kirk walks in... I think it's good Kirk walks into a turbo lift, and they cut trying to stay on the same image to so mm-hmm. that the evil Kirk's hand can come into the frame. Um it seems like that would be a simple thing to do, but they must have moved the camera or something because it's a jarring cut when they, yeah. when they cut back together. Yeah, There's another one, actually, that I noticed that uh, I didn't go back and check, but I don't think a second Kirk is actually in the shot. Where they're, when, they're looking, when they're looking for Kirk, the bad Kirk, in the engine room area, and Spock walks towards camera out of frame, and then Kirk jumps down from the, whatever the thing he's on top of, there's definitely a cut there, and I'm not sure why. Maybe, I don't know if it was just a might have just been a production thing or something. I don't know, but mm-hmm. didn't um, stick the landing. Yeah, it, it was it was it was just weird. Maybe it was just like uh, I don't know. Who knows? Lost the time probably. Uh, yeah, but yeah. As far as their strategy for <laughs> hunting this guy down, I don't know if broadcasting to everyone over an open channel that there is a. <laughs> Second evil Captain Kirk running around <laughs> on the ship is really a great idea. The communication, the the my favorite communication thing is when he assaults Rand, right, and that other crewman comes in, mm-hmm. and Rand is like, "Call for help," and the guy runs to the communicator. He's like, "Hello, this is Ensign Terrence B. Dickhead," and he, he gives this whole introduction, <laughs> right, and gives Kirk time to run over and karate chop him in the neck before he can say anything. It's just like, you should just yell help into the thing. You don't need to yeah. explain who's talking on this end of the telephone. Yeah, it was so strange, though, because like I, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, like, I feel like the, st- the strategy here is to get to very quietly gather a bunch of security guys, tell them what's going on, and then you, as real Captain Kirk, stay in your room while the right. other guys yeah. just go and hunt down the other, the only other Captain Kirk on the ship and capture him. Not open a channel, let the bad Kirk know you're coming after him, and let him know exactly what you're going to do by making sure your guns are on stun. It's, uh, it's an interesting choice. Gentlemen, you're looking also, for someone who also, looks just like me, but has two pounds of concealer on their cheek, which is covering yeah. up a horrible gouge on their face. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that uh, which it's uh, it's it doesn't quite match. I, I accidentally, uh, I accidentally. I, I'm a fall left color. My hand. 
I accidentally left my hand on my face when I got into the tanning booth this morning. So I know, I know. It's um. Also, also, do, oh, imagine, imagine if you were a crew member on this ship, right? You're doing your job, you're minding your own business, and then all of a sudden, boop, boop. This is Captain Kirk. I'd just like to inform everyone that there is an evil doppelganger of me running around in this ship. And uh, yeah, aside from that, go about your business, I guess. Yeah. Like that, the <laughs> the amount of stress and panic that would sow <laughs> among the crew. <laughs> the like, pilot coming what? on. We're we're running a little low on fuel, but I think we're going to make yeah. it to the uh, to the airport. We've lost one engine. He really. The other engine is. Uh, it's making a weird noise, but I think we can make it. We should be fine with one. Yeah, it's he. He does. He's That's not why we sit. have two, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he's not one I to think. He, Kirk's not one to sit around in this. I think that uh, really the biggest plot hole, besides if you want to consider the good evil split, is just yeah the the ease which uh, with which Kirk runs evil Kirk runs around and good Kirk is not really thinking that he's he should do the lost child strategy of just stay in one place so that everyone mm-hmm. can find him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other the other thing that I think it's kind of. Uh, early Star Trek is much more militaristic, and you see that in the Kirk and Spock interaction, where Spock's like, the, "If you fucking show weakness, the crew's going to mutiny. You can't do that. Like, don't, yeah. don't show anything." But also in the evil Kirk accomplishes a lot because he just tells people to give him their gun, and they're like, "Ah, uh, right." <laughs> and he gives them to him, and then he karate chops them, and that's the end of it. It's well, good moral like for even- question your superiors or question authority is the moral of the story. Yeah, even like right after that announcement where Kirk is like, uh, oh, by the way, there's an evil one of me. Um, be wary about anyone you see who looks like me and who maybe has some marks on their face. Uh, um, that one guy runs into evil Kirk and he's like, yeah, whew, man, this is hot in this ship. Um, can I, you know what? Give me your gun. Yeah, no, don't, don't worry about why. Just give me your gun. Uh, okay, Captain. Punch. <laughs> Karate chops him out right there. I know it's good. It's It's a real... It's the same. Rand is also similarly compromised there because she is like it's the the modern of men in power, like the boss or whatever. You have an undue amount of control or pressure against her. Like there's no, um, she can't, she can't say no to her boss basically. And even though she knows that bad intentions are coming or whatever, it's it's a it's something that they don't really explore here. It's just something that Evil Kirk constantly uses to get ahead on people. Is that yeah. everyone will listen to him? That was also a weird scene too. When after he uh, steals the green sarong and he he runs into uh, to Yeoman Rand and he's like, "Ha, hey, just want to say I'm sorry." Yeah, there was this evil doppelganger who you know has scratches he even scratched me weird thing <laughs> he, you know same exact place to him so he could look like me everything's fine don't worry about it by the way do you mind if i drop by your place at like 9 30 tonight mm-hmm. no reason just want to you know <clears throat> talk about stuff see you there yep. also green sarong i didn't know her name yeah <laughs> you know this uh this is just held in place by one clip I don't know if that... Well, it's funny. After uh, he knocks out Good Kirk and steals the sarong, Good Kirk went back to his quarters and got another yes, green sarong. he got another one. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, the, you know, uh, names are interesting to me. Like, uh, what names stand the test of time? Which ones kind of fade and which ones come back and whatnot? Uh, for instance, like, can you... Do you know anybody... Under the under the age of thirty five, or let's be generous and say thirty, named Jason. I do know one Jason. 
that of that age. Yes, but I, I take really? your point. Yes, yeah. But like nobody, nobody's named Jason anymore. People just don't. Know. When we were kids, every third kid was named Jason. I would say Matt has been a, a drastic drop off. I, I don't know any young kids who are my kids' age who are named Matthew. But Matthew Ooh, was the number. There were there were fifty five million Matthews when I was growing up. Yeah, Matthews. Matt's a classic. I'm surprised to hear about that one. But uh, I didn't realize a. I didn't realize Yeoman Rand's name was Janice. Yeah, Janice Rand. <laughs> yeah, and B. I I don't know anybody younger than my aunt Janice who's no. named Janice. Yeah, Janice. That's, is a, that's good a name drop that off. just disappeared. Linda. My mother's name is Linda, and that was very popular. Uh, a lot yep. of mothers were named Linda, and Linda's no Helen. longer a name. Yep. Not a lot of Helens anymore. No, we're just like uh, a, a world of Declans and Emmas now at this point. So well, there'll be Declan Rand and Emma Rand <laughs> coming forward. Yeah. Poor, did you? Poor Yeoman Rand. Did you see? I saw a, a, a meme that was going around that it was someone named Chad who's like, hey, could you like, why my name? My name is perfectly fine. Why don't you go after like Brant mm-hmm. or something or like Declan or, or some someone that's like clearly it's a douchebag name. Bennett. Chad is totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Bennett. Would you say Bennett? Bennett is a good is a good uh, yeah. douchey name. <laughs> Sorry to all the Chads out there. I just listened to Carlin's. Um, Carlin had that bit about soft names make soft people kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Todd. I don't know a lot I, of young Todd. Yeah, that's a, that was the Carlin. Hi, Todd. I'm Tucker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Tucker. I'm Todd. Soft names make soft people. I bet <laughs> 10 out of 10, Joey, Johnny, and Jimmy are going to kick the shit out of Todd, Tucker, and Kyle or whatever he says. Um, that's it. I guess we're done with The Enemy Within. Thank you very much for listening to it. Uh, what are you going to give this one, Clay? I'm sticking to my four out of five for this one. I think yeah. this is a good, solid TOS episode. Yeah, I agree. I would say this is a four. You know, honestly, I think it's a four, but... Uh, I forgot to throw this in when, when you brought it up earlier, but I'm going to continue on my uh, unpopular opinion about best Star Trek episodes and say that I think this is a better Star Trek episode from an outside sci-fi writer than City on the Edge of Tomorrow is. Oh, really? Because Just I think this Trek. is a... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a more Star Trek episode. I think it's a it deals with very Star Trekky things in a very Star Trekky way and does it very well. Um, but I don't need to rehash that. If no, you're listening my, through, through this for the first time, you'll get a lot of it when we cover that episode. Yeah, go go back and listen to uh, City on the Edge or listen to it for the first time. Yeah, I, I um, but I think even you would have to admit that the the central uh, emotional punch of City is more effective than this central emotional yes. punch. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with this. this. Is more of a Star Trek episode than City on the Edge. I, I just I would um remove all the star trek trappings and city on the edge is a better story i guess would be my yes i would agree yeah um but that's it evil kirk is no more good kirk has remained and he's now become one and he's just kind of lukewarm kirk i guess middling (laughs) kirk uh and that's it thank you very much for listening thank you for supporting the show patrons thank you very much for doing this thank you for listening and uh supporting us and obviously people new patreon.com slash the penske file if you want to go there and support the show, much appreciated. And this one by one vote over the uh, All Our Yesterdays was the other one. So maybe we'll do TOS in the future. I'll put it up on Patreon poll if that's the case. And I guess that's it. Four out of fives for both of us. It's stuck the same uh, the same way through. Good quality episode. Well worth watching. And uh, a good intro to Star Trek, I think. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>